is Bonjour Hi, the People of the Pocketbook edition. I'm Avi Feingold in Montreal, and I'm here in the studio with Alana Zakon in Montreal and David Sklar in Calgary. We are your Frozen Chosen. On today's show, it's back to school. And as our thoughts go to Jewish education, we decide to ponder the perennial predicaments about Jewish schooling. We've convened a panel and uh, we ask the big questions. But first, Alana David, I am done back to school shopping. The clothes are bought. The uniforms are done. The uh, stationary, the ridiculous amounts of like liquid paper and erasers and a hundred pencils per kid or some, some ridiculous thing. It's done. Right. Um, do you remember what it was like on the other side of that? Like buying all this stuff? I got really, really excited about my pencil case. That was a big thing because going to a school that has a uniform, you have very little independence in terms of the way that you can kind of, you know, (laughs) uh, show your personality. So it was like, what are my shoes? What is my pencil case? What kind of pencils am I going to have? Am I going to have lead pencils? Am I going to have regular pencils? Am I going to have those little erasers that stick on the top of them? Um, I was a huge school nerd. I actually would. Apparently. <laughs> I, by the time that like camp ended, I was excited to go back to school. Like when we had like, like breaks, I was like ready to get back. I loved to learn. I really loved all the, like having my desk and organizing it. I was very, very disorganized though. When I was in elementary school, that was something that I remember in grade five or six, they said, okay, as you're going to go into high school, what are the qualities you want to work on? And mine was, I need to get more organized because my papers would be everywhere. Um, and I did work on it and now I'm extremely organized. Lana, I think I had the opposite experience of you where I started off being very Orderly in grade seven, I remember the most exciting thing I was going to buy were the binders. Every year I had to get like a fresh new set of six or seven or eight binders for each individual class. And as the years progressed up to grade 10 and 11, they all just went by the wayside. And I was just combining Hebrew class with Jewish history class with even French class all into one binder. And my papers went flying everywhere. Um, yeah, I was, I'm disorganized too. Okay. I, I'm there. I, uh, I like buying stuff. Yeah. Uh, I liked picking which binder was special and important. Uh, I cared more about my shoes. Um, not really <laughs> at the time. I think we were very strict about what and we you still do, do to this day. I still do to this He's day. He's wearing pretty cool shoes today. That is true. Yeah. So, uh, but I'm glad that's over. Alana's wishing it was happening again. So next year, Alana, you're in charge of my kids back to school shopping. Okay. Let's um, do it. Done. Speaking of back to school shopping, um, if you do want, um, some jewelry for back to school, uh, you should go to Atelier Lou. Um, let's hear from our sponsor and then let's hear our big panel. Today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Atelier Lou Bijouterie in Montreal, Quebec. Atelier Lou specializes in watches and custom designed jewelry along with a curated selection of designer jewelry. Visit us online or in person and Eric Goldberg will help make your jewelry dreams come true. Atelier Lou is offering a promo code for all Montreal High listeners using BON18 at checkout for 10% off your order at atelierlou.com. So we were batting ideas around for a back-to-school episode in our uh, CJN virtual newsroom, as one does. And at some point, the conversation got interesting enough that we decided, you know what, let's put a pin in this um, and ask the people that are on here to come on um, and actually discuss this ideas uh, that we were talking about with regards to day schools uh, actually on the show itself instead of getting an expert like a head of school or getting kids themselves, um, getting an outside expert, uh, which, you know... uh, there's usefulness to that, but we, what I really liked about this was that we were getting a sort of uh, on-the-ground report from people who were sending their kids or who had day school experience, and you know 
we have experiences, we have opinions. And so I want to do, uh, convene this panel of uh, CJN journalists uh, to be able to discuss this. So first, we uh, who we have with us today is Lila Sarek, who is the news editor of the CJN, Michael Freeman, who is the executive producer of the CJN podcasts, and uh, Yoni Goldstein, our CEO and editor-in-chief, who is a uh, no stranger to the program itself. So welcome all to Bonjour Chai. Thanks for having me. Hello. And um, why don't we start with you, Lila, who can uh, tell us uh, what's your experience been as were you did you go to day school? Did you send your kids to day school? Um, I did not go to day school. Um, I have sent I have three growing uh, kids who all went to day school. Um, I would say that you don't need to be a, a involved Jew to go to day school. My sister none of none of the myself and my siblings did not go to day school and my sister and brother are both present were presidents of their synagogues, very involved in Jewish communal life. Um, so I would say that at the outset. Um, I sent my three to a variety of day schools in Toronto and in the United States uh, for, um, because I wanted them, as an adult, I think it's very hard to become Jewishly literate, to speak Hebrew, to know Talmud, to have a broad grasp of Jewish history. Um, it's, that's, those are very hard skills uh, to pick to, you know, dove and effectively. Those are very hard skills I found to pick up as an adult and very easy skills to pick up as a, as a child in school. And so that was really one, one of my motivations for sending my kids to, uh, to day school. Excellent. Um, Michael. Michael, you're welcome uh, finally uh, to hear, glad to hopefully hear your voice on this show instead of just being behind the scenes. Yes, long, long time listeners will, will have uh, heard my voice uh, or heard my name rather in the credits for, for the past year. Uh, those of us on the call can see that I am holding my less than two-year-old uh, son. I do not plan on sending him to day school, partly because uh, we live in Niagara Falls and wouldn't be able to if I wanted to. But it's also not something that's that important to me because I, um, uh, I, I, I went to day school myself and I did not enjoy the uh, um, experience at all. Uh, I didn't have any friends. I didn't really connect with it, and I just found like the whole thing was kind of not my scene. So, so it wasn't that hard of a decision to move um, from uh, uh, from Toronto to Niagara Falls and sort of cut off that that aspect of it. Interesting. Okay, uh, Yoni, what's your experience been with day school? I went to day school pretty much uh, all the way through. I went to one uh, Jewish elementary school through grade four, and then I switched to another one graduated from grade eight. Then I went to an all boys yeshiva high school uh, for all of high school. Uh, and then I even did a year and a half at a yeshiva in Israel after that. Um, my kids uh, do not go to day school. They go to French immersion public school. Uh, they also go to supplementary Jewish uh, education a couple of days a week. And that's been ongoing through COVID on Zoom, but I'm really looking forward to it being back in session uh, in a month or so. Uh, that's a couple of days a week focused mostly on Hebrew and like Parsha and Torah stuff. And then uh, we kind of try and fill in some of the gaps at home. And I could get into some of the reasons why we made that decision uh, later on, but um, that's sort of my day school history. Uh, David? I, uh, I grew up in Montreal and I went for 11 years of Jewish day school. Uh, started with Solomon Schechter and then went to Bialik. And I think we've talked a lot about 
on the show about a lot of the criticisms of certain things that that have happened in day school. But I, I do remember a lot. Growing up, I had a learning disability and I had a lot of support in the school system. And I can't say it's specifically because it was a Jewish day school, but they were able to take me out of the room um, and give me a lot of support with support teachers, everything that was going around. And I think if it if I didn't have that, I wouldn't have been able to succeed for the rest of my life. I think as as we've talked, you know, a lot growing up into the high school experience, you know, many people did not take Yiddish or Hebrew seriously, but I love Jewish history. I I am so happy that I had that. If I hadn't gone to a Jewish day school, I don't think I would know so much about our history, which which I truly appreciate and love. And I think that's the biggest benefit that I got out of those school systems. I can't necessarily speak for uh for for learning Hebrew. My Hebrew is not great. It probably still remains at a great one, great two level, even after spending six months in Israel. But I think there are so many things, intangible things, that you really cannot put a cost or a number to that that I got out of Jewish day school. Okay. Uh, and Alana? Um, I went to Jewish school for literally my entire life until I graduated high school, all in the same building until... <laughs> From uh, playful parenting in the basement of my synagogue, Beth Tikva and Dollard, to the preschool in the building, the kindergarten, the elementary school, and then I went to Herzliya High School uh, in St. Laurent back when they had two branches. Um, I had a very positive experience, and it's interesting, uh, having spent most of the past year in Toronto and listening to the complaints of a lot of my friends who went through the Toronto system, it actually made me realize how good the education was that I had at HFS and Herzliya, especially on the Hebrew front. Uh, it seems like a lot of my friends who studied Hebrew in other schools especially out of Montreal, they barely can speak. And even though my Hebrew is quite rusty, when I was still using it actively, um, I was completely fluent. And I don't think that the culture in my high school was that the Jewish studies and the Hebrew classes were kind of uncool. Um, it actually was a mark of success if you were in the highest group for those classes. And people took it quite seriously in a way that was very engaged. Yeah. So uh, I went to Jewish day school. Uh, I went to a yeshiva, uh, an all boys yeshiva from, you know, nursery through uh, grade 11. We only have grade 11 in Montreal. Um, I went to a yeshiva for a year afterwards. Um, and then I went and I taught in Jewish day schools. I taught at Herzliya in St. Laurent, same school that you uh, you were at. I taught in the U.S. Um, then I at some point decided I didn't want to. I was starting to teach adults um, and that I didn't want to have to deal with homework. So that, that's a different discussion. Um, so I think we have a wide variety of points of view here. But what I find most interesting about this wide variety is that everybody seems to think that um, there's a different definition of why it's worthwhile and what you get or you're supposed to get out of Jewish day school. Um, and so I think that's to me the first question that I want to be able to define is how do we identify what success looks like when we're looking at day school? Is it about um, social um, aspects like your you're involved as a parent with other Jews, you're involved as a student with other Jews. Is it, you know, that networking effect of being within the Jewish community, um, which of course comes with a cost of isolation? 
um, from the larger society sometimes. Is it about Jewish knowledge? Is it about the Yiddish, about the Jewish history, about the language, about studying Talmud, about having all of this, these facts? Um, or is it about training us to become you know, great members of, you know, the Jewish community, big leaders, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, and I think that everybody here seems to have something very, very different. So um, who wants to open it up for us? And I'm sure somebody here has a very good definition of what they think is success for uh, the Jewish community. Michael. Just to clarify something, as the guy who hates baseball the most here, I want to clarify that the education, just following up on what uh, Alana said, the education I got was so good. When I went to grade nine public school, I literally was like so far ahead of everyone else. I was reading the same book in grade nine that I read in grade eight in English class to the point that the teacher had to give me another book to read, like to do privately. Like I went to Bialik Hebrew Day School, kudos to them for like helping me coast through grade nine with very little effort and no studying necessary. And I still got whatever, 80s and 90s. So thank you. Um, That said, if we're talking about success on a Jewish level, I think it's different. Obviously, I worked for the Canadian Jewish News, so even though I resented my years at day school, it had some kind of effect, uh, and and it instilled in me some kind of Jewish identity and life, which I do want to carry on uh, to my own son, but um, I don't feel like I need to do it in that kind of rigid classroom way. I feel like I have, you know, I, I, can, I can decide, okay, we don't need to go full Talmud, but like the songs and the holidays and the whatever, uh, uh, you know, stuff like that, some Hebrew words that we will do. So, so for me, I think if it's, you know, even though I, I speak disparagingly of it, it's, it's hard to say it wasn't successful for me. From a, from a knowledge perspective. Well, and the Jewish one, frankly, because again, I worked for the CJN, which I probably would not if I didn't go to Bielke Day School. Uh, yeah, just to follow up on a couple of things uh, that Michael was talking about, and I agree with a lot of them. Um, you know, for me, like the more I think about it as my kids get older, they're uh, eight and seven now, and they've been in public in the public school system for well, my oldest one is going into grade four this year. Um, uh, yeah, so the more I think about it, like the fact that I went to day school and that my wife went to less day school than than I did, but uh, went to it uh, in parts of elementary school, like has sort of given us the educational and cultural knowledge and background and sort of like, I don't know, kishkas that um, it's made it a little bit easier to send our kids to uh, what we think is like maybe a little, giving them a little bit of a a broader view of society. Um, But like, that's because we're pretty confident that we can carry on, you know, the Jewish aspects of life that we, that, you know, that we feel really strongly about. So like, yeah, like day school succeeded, uh, you know, ditto also working at the CJN. So uh, it's important to me. I think, you know, what I view as my Judaism has changed dramatically since I was in the day school system, but the ingrained nature of wanting to do Jewish things and be involved in, uh, in, in Jewish movements, that hasn't um, really changed at all. And I think that that is a, you know, that's, that's certainly a result of, of that, of having that kind of education. Both of you are making me think of how it all kind of comes back to the home. Because if I think about the people I knew growing up, if they were doing absolutely nothing at home, then their perspective on what we were learning at school seemed really pointless. And it sounds to me 
in a way, Yoni, you're saying, well, you know, me and my partner went through the system, so we can send our kids to the public school. But if you hadn't, then maybe it would be a different situation. So to me, it's kind of a a two-pronged thing. You need to have some kind of connection outside of the school and outside of the institution in order for there to be a a drive to learn and to continue your Judaism. But then if you don't have that foundation, kind of what, what Lila was saying before resonated with me is I'm realizing how convenient it is. Um, the fact that I went through the system and have this breadth of knowledge that the people that I know went, that went to public school, if they didn't have it in the home, they're just not getting it. I told, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. Um, you know, I, I, I knew people growing up who, uh, who did sort of the same thing that we do now with our kids. Uh, and they turn out to be super committed religious kids uh, uh, and like involved in Jewish projects professionally. So like I knew it, I knew that it could be done from seeing some models uh, as a kid. But you're right, it does come down to uh, um, what's happening at the home in terms of weighing the value of the Jewish education. And like for sure, like it's um, it's a it's a pretty big schlep for me to go to shul uh, on 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 Shabbat morning, and it was an, an extra big schlep when I had to push two kids in a stroller. Um, but yeah, I, I think that the fact that they're not going to, to day school every day makes me, uh, you know, more inclined to want to take them to shul as often as possible. And the same way that, you know, effort and time and money goes into providing a child with a day school experience, like that home experience also requires effort and time and money uh, as well. So like, let's, you know, that that is, uh, like you're saying, a really, really key part of it and not that different, at least in the early years of education in my mind. Okay, so what I'm curious about um, really is why do so many people go through the Jewish day school public system and then almost completely leave it? Why, why is it that you've been instilled with these values for six or 11 years and then as soon as you graduate, go off to CJEP or university, many people want nothing to do with it. They sort of say, I'm, I am done. I won't go. I won't touch it. Because it's full of bros who only care about sports and nerds like me didn't have any friends and we couldn't wait to get out. Um, I, I can speak to that a bit. I've gone through like a huge transformation of the way that I think about it. I went through many years of really uh, feeling isolated throughout most of my, especially elementary school. I, I had different friends pretty much every year. Um, I was that weird artsy kid who sang musical theater. Um and in high school, I got lucky that I met people like mid high school, what would have basically been middle school if I lived outside of Quebec. I finally found some people that I really connected with who are still my friends today. But for a while, um, I kind of looked back at those years and thought I was so isolated. I didn't have friends that had the same interests as me because my school is so small. Um, it's and, not diverse. Sorry, it, there, yeah. it's not a diverse and, environment at all. Michael and Alana, is that just is that just you? Is it like okay, if you were more of the nerdy or artistic kids, and you end up hosting and running podcasts, you know, the other ones do they have a time where they sort of said these were possibly the best years of my life? It instilled such important values into me, and they're so connected to the to the community. Yeah. Well, I think I actually think that the people that had 
really strong friendships from, I, I see people on Facebook who only went to Jewish elementary school and they're still best friends with the people that they went to the Jewish elementary schools with because they had those, those groups and those cliques and even high school friends. I feel like to me, the difference is that, I mean, most of the people I went to school with were pretty secular compared to the way that I was. Um, and they had, that was their social life. And so when they all went off to Dawson college, uh, and then McGill, they were going to Hillel and they actually retained those connections more than I did. Um, and for me, I think it took the many years of being pretty uninvolved in the community where most of my friends were not Jewish and artists to realize how much I actually appreciated the fact that I went to day school, but that took me close to 10 years to actually realize um, that the roots that I had brought me back because they were so ingrained and that the education I had was so good. And that even though I don't have as many friends from my day school experience, that the content that I was learning was eventually what made me want to kind of come back and realize the good that came with being in a bubble and also wanting to expand it. And that's kind of what I wanted to hear a bit more about from, I guess, everyone here, because I'm hearing a few people bring up things about wanting to expand their kids' knowledge of what's out there beyond the community. And I totally relate to that. But but how can we do both? How can we have that strong education, maybe even in a day school, but then also open your kids' minds to the fact that there are other people and other cultures out there and that diversity? I think, um, like, that's that's the question um, in my mind. Like, um, you know, here's, a, here's an example, and this goes back to what, what we were talking before about going to university, which is a big eye-opener for anybody who's been in sort of a cloistered Jewish environment, especially if it's like, and all boys and an orthodox environment, all the more so. It's a huge. Did you, did you have that experience, Yoni, where you started showing up at university in like dress pants and like a button-down shirt, and everybody was like, where, "Which wedding are you going to?" And you're like, "No, that's just how I dress. <laughs> that's what I've been taught to dress." No, like. I, <laughs> I, uh, I, I had um, uh, what's it called? Uniform. We had a uniform in high school, and I hated it so much that like the day I was allowed to wear jeans to anything educational, I was like totally into that. I used to get in trouble like literally every day in high school uh, for not having my shirt tucked in. And I later found out that it was because my mother told the principal to stay on my case to have my shirt tucked in all the time. So uh, anyways, little uh, sideways there. But uh, yes, so a big eye opener when you get to university. Look, my biggest personal regret from day school is that I had no idea until I got to university, by which point I was pretty well too late, uh, that one could make a career in the music industry. That it didn't mean like, unless, like it didn't mean like, unless somebody figured out that you were a virtuoso pianist at uh, age 13 uh, or whatever, you know, became a rock star, you could actually work in the music industry if that was your love. Uh, and you could find ways to do that. You could go to study that in school, you could work in a studio, or maybe you could become a famous guitarist in a touring band. Uh, I had no idea of any of that when I was in um, day school or Jewish high school. Music programs consisted of like singing in a choir. That was it. But Yoni, if you did know that, then maybe you wouldn't be our fearless leader today. And I think we're in a better place for it. Well, I appreciate that. And look, like I'm not like 
I don't regret the way my life turned out, but it's like no secret to me that uh, music is probably my first love. And <clears throat> that was not something that was considered important at an educational level in the Jewish schools that I went to. So to answer Ilana's question, like, I don't know. I mean, I think you kind of need bigger pools of students, actually, in order to offer programs like that. Like, I went to a school where I think at the time in my high school, there were maybe 80 kids. My graduating class had 10 kids in it, myself included. Um, there's no, there was going to be no econ economic way that they could offer any sort of real musical programming. They were focused on producing good Jews and kids who would get into, uni into the university of their choice. And that succeeded. But uh, at the same time, um, I think, you know, I I'm sure I wasn't the only one who felt that when they got to university and were like, wow, I could study things that I'm actually passionate and interested about. And I don't, you know, and there are choices that I can make. Like, this is up to me now. Uh, needless to say, I didn't choose like a lot of Jewish studies courses. I think I did one and like, that was it. I wanted to do I other want to throw stuff. it back to Lila. I, what are your thoughts on all, all the things that we've been talking about right now? Um, all, the, all the things. Uh, my biggest, um, I, I would say my biggest problem with the day school system, as I've seen it, especially in Toronto, is um, a real trend towards homogeneity. So a lack of diversity. And that leads to a real trend to mediocrity. I don't think my kids' academic education was stellar. I think that kids who are academically gifted or not neurotypical don't thrive in day school. And day schools don't make an effort to, to capture kids who are not kind of, you know, fitting into pegs. I had a, a high school teacher tell me that the high school was great for um, kids who were going to do business, law, and medicine. And of course, that's most of the alumni, and that's what most of the alumni parents want for their own children. Um, and if you have kids who are, so I would say that the lack of, of diversity, and I think it comes across the school in many, many ways. It doesn't address kids who are on any end of any academic uh, spectrum. I think even community schools tend to the orthodox, and they will not, they're um, often not very welcoming to anything that's non-orthodox, although the majority of children there may well not be orthodox. Um, I think there's no rigor in looking at um, Israel, even today. I think there's no rigor in looking at spirituality, um, as, you know, with kind of an, uh, just saying, oh yeah, like orthodoxy is our default position. Um, there's not a lot of diversity in terms of um, racially, in terms of they're trying very hard to do it economic with economics, but they're way behind the eight ball on uh, getting diverse economic populations into school and making those kids feel truly welcome in our schools. Um, and I think that tends to lead to this kind of complacency and homogeneity that doesn't really serve anyone well. And I think um, I think all of us on this call, because none of us are, you know, we're not, we didn't go to Western and study business, right? Um, may account for perhaps why none of us really felt perhaps that we were a great fit in day schools or our children are a great fit in day schools because the day school's not really looking at kids and um, artistic too. One of, I see that the schools have started to change and some schools are way better at this than others. Sometimes all it takes is one fabulous teacher to, to turn around a, a kid's experience. But 
it's kind of risky to say, I'm really hoping my kid gets that teacher who sees that artistic spark in my kid and, and encourages it. Um, on the other hand, and so that's my big, probably my biggest single complaint about the day school system, is that kind of trend towards mediocrity and complacency. Um, on the other hand, the fact that most of the, the folks who are on this call in their 20s and um, went to day school and say they're not engaged, I think that speaks more to the community that you are graduating into that has a real dearth of opportunities for people who aren't kind of married to and have to, you know, have a kid in preschool. Um, I think there's, so I don't know that it's necessarily the day school. I think it's more a reflection of the community um, that we're living in. Um, so I'm not quite prepared to give that um, black mark. I'll give many black marks to day school, but I'm not quite prepared to give that one to the day school system. And I think it speaks more to our, our larger communal institutions that really struggle to find a place for people who aren't giving to federation and putting their kids into playful parenting yet um, and may never do that you know so that's my uh take on it so what you're what you're leading to i feel like everyone here on this on this chat right now is from the breakfast club and all feeling all the outcasts sure i think that there's something interesting in what lila's saying and you know we've been talking a lot about the things which Daystool does well, which is identity and society, right? That in that sense, it gives you this group of friends that you don't necessarily walk away from, um, even if you walk away from Jewish practice, and it gives you that community and it gives you all this stuff. Um, and I, I don't think there's an easy answer to this, but supposing your child is neurodiverse and you're faced with a mediocre Jewish school system, but to you, the important thing is to make sure that your child is um, in a Jewish social setting, right? Knowing that we're going to supplement it with non-Jews around in various mm -hmm. other ways, right? Do, are you willing, are we willing to accept mediocrity in order for that piece of it um, to be fulfilled, right? The, the, I mean, the, the, we just have much have the other question also, are we willing to embrace mediocrity of academia, Right, in order to make sure that we have a double or in Quebec a triple curriculum of English, French, and Hebrew. Well, uh, I think that depends on the school but, too. There are some schools like I actually think that my education was really good, and sure. the mediocrity that I relate to is more what Lila was talking about about that the hum, hum, oh my homogeneity. God, thank you. <laughs> blah blah blah. Um, that that everyone kind of was the same. Like I literally remember in grade seven thinking, if I don't conform to fitting in, I am going to be bullied for the rest of my years at school. And I just decided to, you know, wear the shoes that everyone was wearing so that I would fit in because I was having a miserable time. <laughs> but but are we willing like is, is it a value to be able to say, we're gonna place that important, that 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 value over the idea that there may be some mediocrity in whatever it is that we care about in order that, you know, our kids are socialized in a Jewish environment or that, um, you know, we continue this idea of a community being a community. Is that, you know, at what point are we willing to take that value or, uh, and to uphold that? Well, I mean, you're basically putting up like, the value of like a social education versus like a, the rigors of a whatever a formal education uh there is obviously value to it and like you know like uh people who are not on this call who will tell you that they hated day school as much if not more than any of us here uh will also be the first to tell you that they're sending their kids to the same place where they went 
There's a reason for that. I'm on that call. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm doing that. I didn't like my yeshiva. Yeah, pe- people, people like over the time, pe- over the years, people when I, we talk of, uh, talk to people about education, they're like, "Oh, I wish I had the the guts to do that," but like you know, my parents would kill me or whatever. Uh, and I hear that. I get that. That that sort of plays into the question that you're talking about. So yeah, there is a perceived social value for it. I think it increases the more that you're talking about orthodox schooling, where that social value is at least as important as some of the as uh, some of the uh, educational values. So like, you know, there are there are Haredi schools in Toronto and Montreal. There are tons of them and tons of kids go, going to them. And uh, the, the, val- the social values that they're going to gain out of that are going to be directly put to use for the entirety of their lives in like 99 percent of the cases. And th- in that situation, there is a value. It is preparing you for a type of life. It comes down to a point where you realize that that's what the nature of it is, and you decide how you want to react to that. I think, um, you know, you can put that, you can put it up against any value. Like, is being part of a community, you know, is it better to send your kids to swimming lessons in a Jewish program than, at, at, or whatever, at the JCC than at the, you know, the local place? Well, yeah, they're going to hang out with Jewish kids and see that other kids, Jewish kids swim more likely than if they went to some other place. Is that more valuable than the 10 minutes more you have to drive there or the fact that you're not going to know anybody, uh, uh, the other parents who are watching your kids, and that's going to affect your Jewish experience of watching your kids swimming lesson? It's pretty complicated. So, you know, people have to make their decisions. And it's obviously complicated, too, for the people who say, God, I hated day school. Uh, but I'm definitely sending my kids there too. That is not, it's not a cop-out answer. That's a complicated answer that requires like a level of maturity to make that decision. I've heard a, I've heard a lot of people who grew up as the only Jew in their grade at public school in the middle of rural BC or uh, some small town in Ontario, that that actually strengthened their identity because as the only Jew, they felt like they had to, you know, stand up for their people and against anti-Semitism and that's what defined their experience. But I feel like there's probably also the other, the other side of it, uh, where people felt they had to hide their identity because of the anti-Semitism or feeling like they didn't fit in. Um, and I'm curious, uh, I guess for any of you, what experiences that, that you've heard either maybe Yoni from your kids going through the public system is, do you feel that in 2022, um, kids' identities are being strengthened more by being out of the system and needing to stand up for it or being in the system and having that social community? Okay, well, in my, in my case, um, the public school where my kids go, um, there's tons of Jewish kids, uh, including in their classes. Uh, the park where all the kids play on the weekend, like you could have a minion there if, if, you, if someone really needed one. Um, so there are Jewish things around. My kids will like when it's the holidays and they'll do their show and tells about Jewish things. And, and they do try and integrate like even, you know, they'll throw in like a thing or two about Hanukkah around Christmas time, which I appreciate, uh, I, I suppose. Uh, but it's also different because like their Hebrew school is in their, their after school supplementary Hebrew school is in the exact same school where they go. So that has, uh, I think, uh, probably a positive uh, effect 
Uh, and, um, you know, I, I, I think like a, it couldn't really be a better situation in that way for me. Alana just mentioned small towns, and I just want to briefly uh, throw to an episode of Yehopetzville, another CJN podcast about Jews and small communities. Uh, the episode that we just produced this week actually uh, discusses that like directly. Um, it's an interview with Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Rachel Isaacs, who is the head of the uh, a place called the Center for Small Town Jewish Life in Maine. It's like a, a small college. And she talks about how so many Jews that she meets, like like in big cities, machers or or you know just community leaders um grew up in small towns and they credit growing up in small towns with the strength of their jewish identity they say like it you know regardless alana of of whether it made them proud or made them hide it became so ingrained within them that they became the community leaders who they were so i do think that there's value to being forced in that situation because otherwise you know going back to the homogeny argument the homogeneity argument when you're inundated with something 24 7 well, case in point is 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 me right i found i had to rediscover my judaism only when i came out to calgary it wasn't it always felt like it was just around me i didn't have to do anything to be jewish if i was in montreal so i lived um for seven years um in a mid-sized uh, town in a city in the united states where there was one day school that went up to grade eight and uh, my kids' classes were small, like their graduating classes would have been five, six, seven kids if we were very, very lucky. Um, and the day school there played a really different role. And the day school there was really the heart of the community. Um, our friends, our social life, um, my kids' friends, everything, the, the day school played a very outsized role in keeping a community together. Um, and I said that at that point, I was living in a place, a good-sized city with about 6,000 Jews total. And I said that I wouldn't move ever to a community that wasn't able to put a day school. And the, and the academics were excellent. Um, it was kind of semi, the, the, the philosophy was fairly orthodox, although most of the kids weren't orthodox. Um, and the, but the academics um, were really outstanding. And I said I would never move to a community that, wouldn't, that couldn't get it together to have a day school. Because I think it's very reflective of a community's values. And if a community can't get it together to put together a really top-notch um, day school. It's not a place that I could ever see raising my children. Um, and definitely they had a, a very different point of view coming from a small day school that was the heart of a community to uh, a place in Toronto where day schools taken taken for granted is not the heart of the community. If any of our day schools failed, and we've seen day schools fail in Toronto at an astonishing high rate, um, you know, you move, you go somewhere else. It's no one's crying terribly. Um, and I think that's, so I, I think that, yes, <laughs> you have to think about what day school means, not just in our big cities, but in our, in our smaller places where it really shapes people's identities to a, a huge amount. I, I'd like to talk about money right now. Um, one thing we haven't brought up is just how expensive it is to send your kids to Jewish day school, whether it's for six years or for 12 years. What happens if you are a family raising a kid in, in you know, Toronto where you can barely afford a house or rent. How do you make that choice? Are there, are there areas that uh, a young Jewish family can access if they're seeking support because they say, hey, Jewish day school is really important to us, but there's no way we can even afford it. Yeah. I had a colleague once who said um, that if you have two kids in Jewish day school, it's like buying a Lexus every year and pushing it off a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> Just from a cost perspective. Um, yeah. Um, I'm hoping they're getting something out of it other than rubble. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, that's clearly, you know, the point. But 
look, the cost is a fortune. Quebec is 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 way cheaper than other places, and yet it's still very expensive. Um, I had a, f- I can't figure out how we pay so much every year, and yet Catholic schooling in the states where it's all private is like. for a private school because the Catholic church manages to like figure out how to pay for this. There are way way more Catholics than there are Jews. Sure. Remember that. (laughs) But there's also way more Catholics in Catholic school. Right. Uh, You know, uh, my thing, my response to that immediately, and I know it's more complicated than this is there's gotta be a way to figure out how to pay for, um, you know, school using uh, some sort of a communal tax, whether it's through synagogue memberships or federation donations, that X number of dollars goes to pay for day schools uh, across the board so that it's a public good, whether or not you are part of uh, your children go to a day school or not. Because if you're an active member of the Jewish community, your kids are benefiting from, uh, you, you are benefiting from Jewish day school, regardless of whether you have children or not, you should be paying for that the same way that we pay for school taxes, even if we don't have kids in school anymore, or if we don't have kids at all. But is that really fair to families or people who are involved in the community and sort of say, I'm never going to have kids. I don't have kids. Why should I have to pay the this so-called like Jewish tax? Yes, that's my point, because you're still benefiting from Jewish day school. If Jewish day schools are the things that produce Jewish leaders, which create the federations or staff the federations or the Canadian Jewish Newses or the whatever other Jewish organizations that you benefit from, um, then you should be paying for that in the long term because just because you don't want your kids to be a leader doesn't mean that you're not taking advantage. Like I said, it's about active membership in the community. If you actively are part of the community, you are benefiting from day schools, regardless of whether you have children in school or not. Taxing people based on what's good for society and not them individually doesn't usually go well. Yeah, I would uh, I would pay that tax and still not send my kids to day school. That, that would sort of be my reaction sure. to it. Look, like I think... Um, do you need to make financial sacrifices to send your kids to day school unless you're extremely wealthy or you come from a family with a lot of wealth? Yeah, for sure. And looking back, I can <clears throat> I can see that my parents made made some of those sacrifices uh, along the way and took you know fewer trips and had uh, not as nice cars to drive off the cliff every year. Uh, and that was their value. That was, that was what they chose to spend their money on. I I don't really see that as being that different than somebody who decides that, you know, their value is collecting antique instruments or something. It's just, it's what you decide to value with, uh, your money. I do think, um, that, uh, and have, and, you know, my wife has been working on this project, uh, uh, for a couple of years. Uh, dealing specifically with um, school subsidies and families and the affordability issue for Jewish families here in Toronto. And I can tell you that like there's never been more subsidies available um, to people who are having trouble paying. And I, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's never been more people who are having trouble paying just based on the economy we have and the cost of these schools. Uh, and maybe it requires like really big thinking for down the line. But in the meantime, the subsidies are there. Now, that what the subsidies being there doesn't necessarily um, undo the stigma attached to people who are accepting the subsidies, whether they're real or perceived stigmas. And maybe that's sort of the next generation of the affordability of like fixing the affordability issue is, um, you know, is is cutting that divide between people who are paying full fare and people who are 
paying subsidies uh, and are making it obvious, you know, just because of like the clothes they wear to school every day. There are things that there are more things that can be done there. But in terms of the cost, uh, like I think everybody at a leadership level has realized that it is actually a major issue. And they are trying to do things about it. there's more money than ever for people who want to send their kids to day school and don't think they can afford it. The reality is that at this point, they probably can. Um, I also think that we need um, much more significant oversight of how day schools are spending money. Um, and I say that because we've seen day schools fail at this tremendously high rate in Toronto. We saw pretty almost every non, we saw every non-orthodox day school except for one just north of the city close like dominoes. Um, and I think we've seen some really poor spending decisions by schools and, and very poor forecasting and um, all that sophistication. It's not there. So I would be, um, and I think we do pay a tax. We already pay a tax. If we pay money into federation, I feel like that is my Jewish tax that I pay if I'm supporting federation in my city or if I'm sending, you know, doing it directly to day schools. So I think before I would like to see a tax, I would like to see some very serious outside professional oversight of how day schools are functioning and and uh, and being as lean as and and yet still offering what we want. We still want support for special education and we still want arts programming and everything else that we would think is a frill. And I don't think we would we all wouldn't say it's a frill, but I know some people would say it's a frill. So we want to keep all the great stuff. But I think I would still want to see some really serious oversight of how schools are, are managing their money um, before I would be, <laughs> before I'm looking at a across the board tax. And um, and further, Ravi, I don't think that you need to go to day school to be a Jewish community leader. Oh, um, as I said sure. at the very I, outset, I in my family, that. that's not true. And if we look at who's at Federation, so I don't think we support, I guess the question is, why do we support day school at all? And I don't think we support it because it makes Jewish leaders. And I don't think we support it because it makes people marry Jewish people. Um, I think we support it because we want people to have um, uh, a strong Jewish identity of their own. I agree. But I think, uh, and I was thinking a lot about this since I heard the pod on the interfaith marriage. Um, I think that we have to look at institutions not at promoting, promoting marriage within Judaism, but understanding that we want to create individuals who are going to be allied with Israel or with their Jewish life in some way. But I, I think we need to also reevaluate some of the values of what we want our day schools to actually do. Interesting. So um, to wrap things up, because we've been going all over the place, uh, maybe a bit of good news or something that's really a little bit positive. Um, what are the, th the alternatives to uh, day school that you guys have seen that you think are actually working, that are actually a viable alternative, something that's valuable and has um, an ability for us to say, well, if you're not going to do this, then maybe do that or make it better. Uh, Yoni, why don't we start with you? Uh, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> like, uh, uh, like I said before, um, making uh, your home Jewish in all sorts of ways is really, um, in, is really an important start. Um, I think supplementary Jewish school gets a bad rap, probably because sort of in the bad, in the same way, reverse way that uh, some of us are talking about day school now. You know, like our parents or grandparents, they went to Cheder uh, uh, maybe a couple of times a week, and um, they didn't want to replicate uh, that experience for their for their children or grandchildren either. 
So uh, I think maybe supplementary school has kind of come back around uh, and employs a little bit more rigorous uh, education and Judaism as well. So I think, uh, I think a lot can be done with that. And um, if you do enough stuff at home also, find you know, one of the many cultural events that are Jewish cultural events that are always happening, at least in Toronto and Montreal. Um, I think it, I think you know there there are good ways to do Jewish education formally and informally that may not be tied to day school. Having said all that, when my kids um, are getting ready for high school, I think you know I'm leaning to sending them to a Jewish high school. So all bets are off in like another three to four years. I'm glad to see that I have not just, it's not just me that believes that elementary school, eh, high school, yay, right? Uh, but that's a, well, it's part of this discussion, but I think we're, we're going to wrap it up now. Uh, Michael, what do you think? Um, oh my God, when you, when, you said that, when you said that on the pod, like at some point before, I took like a very deep breath and was like, yes, Rabbi Avi thinks that I am taking the correct path. <laughs> okay. Michael, what do you think? What, what, what have you seen that's working? What, what, what's your alternative to... My, I mean, my alternative is my house. Um, strangely, I had no role in this, mm -hmm. but some of my son's favorite books that he always brings to me and wants to read are like the Passover book, the Light the Menorah book, where you like pull up the flap thing inside and the candles like light up in the book, whatever. Like he loves these Jewish books. Michael, your kid's going to become a Haredi yeah, rabbi. Right? And it's... Um, and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, but no, I mean, honestly, like, you know, there are some Hebrew words and we'll read like the, the, whatever, past the Haggadah, like kids version. And he repeats after me in Hebrew and stuff like that. I, I'm a big proponent of, uh, not relying on the institution and just the parents, you know, taking it into your own hands. If you want your kid to turn out, if you want your kid to turn out a certain way, then it's up to you as a parent and don't, don't rely on other people. Don't leave it up to them. And this way I can, you know. But I'm also a control freak, so uh, yeah, I, I would agree that you know the home is obviously the most is the most formative place for our kids, and it's where they're and we're we're really lucky that Judaism is such a a home based religion with Shabbat and Sukkot and seder's and and so we're so lucky that we can I think it's absolutely the place I think there's um, a real place for Jewish summer camp, um, which uh, we've been involved with and and I've seen my kids. Um, make Jewish friends, uh, gain some Jewish skills. Um, I've seen kids, my kids, some of my kids have been on staff. Um, all my kids have gone to Israel with a, some kind of a summer camp experience, um, which I think was really valuable for all of them. Um, and I've also seen the, probably the biggest value was actually uh, seeing uh, some of my kids become on staff um, and being able to be role models and having uh, people point out to them how valuable it is that at 17 that they can be a role model and they can reflect back on when they were, you know, little guys and they saw their, their favorite staff. And I think that's, that can only happen at summer camp. It doesn't get to happen anywhere else. And I think that's just, you can't measure, measure that. Um, if I had, and I, if I only had money to afford either camp or school, I would, I might even pick camp and try and supplement it with school because camp is immersive in a way that school isn't. Um, but I think ideally you you can do them both and they, they complement each other really nicely. Excellent. Um, David, what's your prescription? Well, Lila brought this up earlier in terms of what she felt was missing in Jewish day school was spirituality. 
And I really agree with that assessment. I think a lot of the things that have meant the most to me in my Jewish upbringing and experiences when a teacher or a rabbi has brought this element in. A lot of the times my mom would always explain growing up in the 50s and the 60s that one thing that was, she always felt that when she went to her Jewish uh, um, uh, Saturday school was that these are the rules, these are the rules that we are prescribed to follow by the Torah and by God, do them. As opposed to, I think what really had an awakening for her was when she learned about Musar, when she learned about Kabbalah, when she learned about these things that were always kept secret or hidden or, or, or just not known by the larger Jewish community, I think these are things that can really have a lot of tremendous value for people, especially younger people that are maybe seeking things um, with deeper values. Lila said everything that I was going to say. Couldn't have said it better myself. Um, The interesting thing, having gone to a religious camp, a modern Orthodox camp, I had friends that came towards the later end of the years, like going into counselor and training and then staff, Um, who I was shocked wanted to come to my camp because everyone that went to my camp for the most part was observant at home. And then you would get some of these kids who just heard great things about the, the camp experience and they would go to camp and do Shabbat for the first time and they loved it. And they came back later than like I stopped going to camp after my first year staff because I started doing plays during the summer and they stayed for an extra couple summers. And that was probably the most immersive, religious, positive Jewish experience that they ever had. Do they keep Shabbat now? No, but I'm sure that that probably affected them in a way that their school education landed, I would imagine. So, you know, I was going to say a lot of what everybody's saying here. Um, I want to take it one step further, try to bring it all together. Um, I would go so far as to say that if you are a parent the same way you have a responsibility to change your kids' diapers and feed them and make sure they get the basic necessities. If Part of those basic necessities is a robust education. And if you care about your life as a Jew, you have a responsibility to take an active role in that. And uh, I'll start with the negative, but then move to the positive. The biggest mistakes that we see, um, that I see, that happen within the Jewish day school system or just within Jewish schooling in general is when parents basically outsource their Judaism to the schools. It's what you were saying at the very beginning. If it's not being lived at home, it's not going to matter how wonderful it is in school, right? There's a problem there. So um, we have to, flip that switch to say, if you care about it, then find the school that most closely aligns with who you are. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a day school. It could be a French immersion school. It could be a public school. It could be a very nice private school. But then figure out what most closely aligns and then have a responsibility to fill out the holes, not to go and say, well, that's the closest, that's what it is. And then whatever happens between 8 a.m. and uh, whatever school ends, because it's 4.45 here in Cannes, Quebec, because of a triple curriculum, whatever that might, whatever time that might be, I don't even want to think about it. Homework, go to your room, do your homework. It's taking the active interest in either supplementing your kid's social life by giving them after school programs that have non-Jews if they're in a Jewish day Mm -hmm. school or vice versa, figuring out what Jewish life looks like in your home, living it, and then being able to teach them or finding the right program that will teach them that. And then adding in the the camp, adding in the, uh, you know, whatever else, the synagogue life, adding in the spirituality. If the school has everything but the spirituality, Mm. you have just as much responsibility to find it because there is no such thing as a perfect school. There's literally no perfect school because even if you find the school that is perfect for you, you will not have, you will 
will not want your kid to be in a school with a bunch of other kids that are exactly perfectly aligned like that. You want that diversity. So even if you find the perfect school, you're going to find that you have a lack of diversity. There is no perfect school. Find the school that is closest to what you care about and then make it more perfect with your active interest. And I think that that apathy of like, I'm done with my kids. I've fed them. I've watched Yo Gabba Gabba ad infinitum. I've listened to too much Coco Melon and I'm done. It's time for the, for the school to take care of it. It's, you know, that to me is the biggest tragedy and we have to change that and we can fix that. If we can fix that, then that will, um, you know, do a lot. That's great advice. I'm going to keep that in mind and listen back to this when I have children and who knows how many years. Excellent. Um, Lila, Yoni, Michael, it's been uh, wonderful. Thank you for coming on the show. Uh, We'll hopefully have you back for um, many other topics. Uh, Maybe we'll reconvene this in a year from now and see what we've learned over the past year for our back to school. Um, But in the meantime, thank you for joining Bonjour Chai. As always, it's not just about what we think. We would love to hear what you thought. Email us at bonjour at the CJN ca to let us know what you thought. Now it's time in the show where we like to talk about our nachas, the thing that made us feel good this week, the thing that brought us some joy, something Jewish, something Canadian-ish, maybe sometimes. Um, Alana, what's your nachas this week? So this nachas is very, very uh, fitting for the episode. It is the 75th anniversary of my sleepaway camp, Camp Massad, in the Laurentians, right above Montreal. Um, They had a big event for it, which uh, sadly I was not able to attend, but it was a big anniversary reunion where they kind of relived camp for the day. So they had people that went to the camp from its early days and people that are going to the camp now and... They sang songs and, you know, did flagpole and all the things that you do at camp. Um, I Every single year since I stopped being a staff, I keep saying that I want to go up there and uh, go for a Shabbat because they let alumni come up and teach, like, a little program for the teens or read a book to the kids and then you get to stay at camp. Um, I haven't done it yet. Maybe next year. Every year things just keep popping up because I'm self-employed and there's never a good time to do anything. Um, But I miss my camp very much. You know, if... If university doesn't work out for you, Alana, I think there's a, a job opening at this Jewish summer camp. Yeah, I would love to get paid minimum wage again. <laughs> Who doesn't? Awesome. Excellent. Uh, David, what's your nachas this week? Uh, this past week, Jack, which stands for Jewish Adult Calgary, held its first, finally, uh, event of the year. They are out and they are about and they are having a great time. Uh, We had an event called Jews and Brews. It took place at Cold Brewing in Inglewood, Calgary. Uh, You know what? I met a lot of Calgarian Jews who I didn't even know existed before this week. Uh, Some were even from interfaith. You couldn't have done a wine and cheese and call it Jews for cheeses? You know what? I'm going to take that idea, bring it back to the committee, (laughs) and it might be next month's event. (laughs) I hope so. I was just going to say, though, that there are some, a lot of these that a lot of these kids who are like, basically it ranges from 18 to 40. Jack, that's who we, who we foster and look after. Some of these came from interfaith families. Um, and I think Rabbi Bregman, who we had on a couple of weeks ago for the interfaith um, podcast, he'd be surprised to know that all of them felt very deeply connected to their Jewish roots, even if he would consider them nothing but a mishmash. Avi, 
What is your nachas? Um, so I have a two-part nachas. Um, of course. Of course. Well, they're, they're <laughs> actually very much related to each other. Okay. Um, there was an article that came out a couple days ago uh, by Kat Romano, uh, which is entitled An Elegy for Liberté Cream Cheese, a, Mon- Montre- a Montreal bagel <laughs> schmear not, like no other. That's not where I thought your nachas was going. <laughs> um, apparently, Liberty Cream Cheese, which is was the staple of... Uh, Jewish cream cheese and there's a whole history behind why it's called Liberty and it was a Jewish company and it's not anymore, but they've stopped making Liberty cream cheese. Um, So um, a little bit of sadness uh, for that. Um, Were you guys uh, Liberty cream cheese people? Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't know that it's done and I didn't know it was Jewish. But it it ties into this um, thing that I purchased this week. Um, I'm not, you guys know me, I'm not such a hoodie wearer. Um, No. (laughs) Maybe around the house once in a while, but I found this hoodie and I absolutely had to own it. Um, Can you describe for us, Alana, what this hoodie looks like? Um, (laughs) That's funny. So it's a gray hoodie with um, very Judaica style text that says Mark Jacobs. Like Mark Jacobs, the designer. It's actually, it's his, it's not a bootleg. Oh, but the O is a bagel. It's the St. Viator bagel. The St. Viator bagel with a little hat. Um, My eyes are really bad. You don't have to say with a little hat. It's just the St. Viator bagel. (laughs) Oh yeah, you're right. I have really bad eyesight. And then it says famously better since 1984. So um, not only that, right? So I had to own this hoodie because it has the St. Fiatr bagel logo like stolen in there. This is a collaboration with with uh, Mark Jacobs and another designer, apparently. That's and <laughs> what is the name of the designer? Avi Gold. <laughs> That's amazing. That's so, serendipity right there. So I happen to have, uh, I don't know if you can see it there, uh, uh, David, uh, well, whatever. Um, that is my, uh, that is my new hoodie that is referencing Montreal bagels in a very interesting way by, uh, somebody whose name is almost mine. That is my real Nachos of the week, just as much as with Kat. Kat's a wonderful article. Go check it out. I think it's in the Nasher. Um, but that's my Nachos of the week. Thank you for listening to Bonjour Chai for the week ending August 26th. Our producer is Zach Kaufman. The executive producer for CJN Podcasts is Michael Freeman. Our music is by SoCalled. We are a project of the Jewish Living Lab and are distributed by the CJN Podcast Network. You can listen to all our past episodes on our page at thecjn.ca slash bonjour, and you can subscribe to the podcast and automatically receive all episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please do leave us a comment or rating on the platform of your choice, and even better, if you can just tell a friend um, that they might like, if you can just tell a friend about Bonjour Chai so that they can join the Frozen Chosen, that would be great. As always, you can email us with comments at bonjour at thecjn.ca. I'm Avi Feingold. I'm Ilana Zakon. And I'm David Squad. You want to read this book with me? I'm going to read the Passover Seder. Okay, well, though, we're going to skip straight to the Haggadah part because this is the part that you do that's very cute. You ready? Kadesh. Urchatz. Karpas. Yachatz. Good job. Magid. Rachza. Motsi Matza. Maror. Korech. Shulchan Orech. Yeah, that one's pretty hard. Tzafun. Barech. Halel. Perfect. Nirza. Yeah. Good job.